Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Our topic today is one that has been in the headlines since February. As you've heard, in early February, the FBI asked a U.S. magistrate judge in California for an order requiring Apple to assist the government in unlocking the iPhone of Syed Farouk, one of the San Bernardino terrorists. Mr. Farouk's iPhone, an iPhone 5C running iOS 9, is locked, and the government does not know Mr. Farouk's self-selected passcode to access the device. The government moved to require Apple to assist in accessing data on the phone. Interestingly, though, the government did not ask Apple to break the iPhone's encryption itself, but it did ask that Apple assist the government's effort to break the encryption by modifying the software in two ways. First, it sought to disable the feature that automatically deletes data on the phone after 10 unsuccessful attempts to enter a passcode. Second, it sought to disable the feature that progressively slows each subsequent attempt to enter a passcode after an unsuccessful entry. Apple does not have such software and vigorously opposed the government's motion. This led to a very public debate over encryption, government investigatory powers, and the All Writs Act of 1789. As we record this, the controversy has abated after the government announced that it had secured the assistance of a third party to unlock the phone. On March 22, the government asked to postpone a hearing on its motion and subsequently confirmed that it has accessed Mr. Farouk's phone without Apple's assistance. But to paraphrase Winston Churchill, the FBI's announcement is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but it might be the end of the beginning of this discussion. So today I want to explore two things. First, I'll discuss the All Writs Act and its significance. And then second, I'll discuss what we can expect next in this debate. First, the All Writs Act. The FBI's desire to access information for investigating terrorism and other crimes is not new. The FBI has been speaking of its concern that persons could go dark by accessing certain communications methods for 10 years. In fact, I wrote an article in 2007, for example, warning that chat features and online games could be the target of new wiretapping obligations because of their pervasiveness and relative obscurity. It also is not new that telecommunications carriers will possess information that is highly relevant to law enforcement. Way back in the mid-1990s, the FBI made its case against Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh based in large part on records of his supposedly anonymous prepaid calling card purchases and calls. Indeed, telecom carriers have a variety of obligations to preserve records of their service. They must maintain telephone toll records for 18 months and often keep the records much longer than that. They have an obligation to maintain records of certain services, like low-income services, for five years after they cease providing service. So there's a lot of information out there. But the FBI accessed all of that information and still did not have what it needed or what it wanted. It served warrants on Verizon, the wireless carrier providing service to Mr. Farouk. It served warrants on many other entities, including Apple, that provided apps that were loaded on Mr. Farouk's phone. 
But Apple, as the device manufacturer, is not subject to the same obligations as telecommunications carriers. So the government threw what it had to know was a Hail Mary pass here. It sought assistance under the All Writs Act. The All Writs Act empowers federal courts to issue all writs necessary or appropriate in aid of their respective jurisdictions and agreeable to the usages and principles of law. Relying primarily on a New York telephone case from 1978, the government argued that compelling Apple to provide assistance was consistent with the All Writs Act. Applying the three factors recognized in New York telephone, the government contended that Apple, as the device manufacturer and provider of the operating system software used on the phone, is not, quote, so far removed, unquote, from the controversy that it could not be compelled to assist. Second, it argued that Apple's assistance was not burdensome because Apple regularly writes and updates code for the iPhones. And thirdly, that the company's assistance was necessary to accomplish the government's objective. Notably, the government did not rely upon the laws typically used to access communications-related information. CALEA, for example, requires telecommunications carriers and VoIP providers to design their networks to enable law enforcement monitoring upon court order supported by probable cause. The Wiretap Act of 1968 and its update, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act of 1986, give the government the right to seek wiretaps of various communications and other electronic communications data, again upon a court order. Similarly, the USA Patriot Act and the FISA provide authorization for other methods of gathering intelligence, but none of these statutes apply to information stored on a personal device, and none of them apply to companies that are providing the operating software for the devices. Hence the issue here. So the government's reliance on the All Writs Act to reach this information underscores more than any other element of this case does that technology has outpaced our laws. Now, I'm not saying that we as a society necessarily should extend any obligations, much less the obligations that the FBI sought here on entities like Apple. I'm also not saying that so-called backdoors to encryption always or necessarily are bad or even a good thing. But key laws that apply here are decades old. They're rooted in landline communications networks and typically TDM telephone network technologies. The FBI has been trying for a decade to focus attention on this issue largely without success. I believe that the principal purpose of the request in the San Bernardino case was to jumpstart that debate. In that respect, the FBI was extremely successful and it ultimately was successful in gaining access to the phone in question here, albeit by other means than originally sought. So looking at next steps, now that the government has found a way into the iPhone, there are a number of interesting sidelines to this story. First, the FBI now has a method of accessing an encrypted iPhone. Presumably, its hack will work not only on Mr. Farouk's phone, but on other iPhones as well. So the question has become whether the FBI will share this method with other law enforcement agencies. Local law enforcement is very keen on getting this kind of information. Notably, for example, New York County District Attorney Cyrus Vance has made clear that his state has a large number of phones that it cannot access either. It's unclear now whether the FBI will work with the law enforcement agencies to access these phones, but presumably it will do so even though it has no uh, explicit obligation to do so. Secondly, and ironically, the question with respect to Apple has now been flipped, and many are wondering whether the FBI will cooperate with Apple 
to identify and ultimately close the vulnerability that the FBI has discovered. It's hard to imagine that the FBI would do so after spending so much time trying to find a method to access the phones. In fact, it's in the government's best interest to keep this vulnerability secret for as long as possible in order to maximize the utility of its investigatory techniques. So for now, Apple's in a much different standoff with the FBI than it was before. Finally, and more broadly, the controversy highlights the gap in our existing laws. We have laws applicable to telecom carriers, to electronic communication service providers, and to others, but we don't have anything that applies to these newer forms of communication, to apps, to messaging, and the like. Nor do we have anything that applies to operating software companies, nor anything that addresses encryption explicitly. So the FBI was very successful in bringing attention in a discrete, concrete way to this topic. Now the debate will shift to Congress to discuss law enforcement access to newer technologies and software. That topic will be debated for some time, and that will not be resolved in the near future. In fact, accessing this phone is not the end. It's not even close. At most, like Churchill said in a very different context, perhaps we're at the end of the beginning. But even that is not so sure. So stay tuned. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.